divine word. That'll be made clear as we continue our study of Hebrews. In Hebrews 4.12, we read these familiar words. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is a favorite passage of Scripture for us who hold the Bible as God's authority. But contrary to a common assumption and something we've probably all said, the living word of God is not the Bible. The living word of God is not the Bible. We know that because the very next verse in Hebrews goes on to speak of the living word as him. As him. It's a person. The living word is Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As the living word, Jesus has spoken. And through his Holy Spirit... He continues to speak. He reveals to us the mind of God as no one else can because He is the Son of God. And as the Son, He is far superior to any of the prophets. That means, among other things, that we don't interpret His words by the words of the prophets. We interpret their partial messages and fragmentary understandings of God with and by the words of Jesus. And he's far superior to them, not only in message, but in person. The writer of Hebrews makes that very clear by giving us a sevenfold description of God's Son that demonstrates conclusively his superiority. We're first told that the Son has been appointed heir of all things. Everything that is God's belongs to the Son as well. It's His by right of inheritance, by virtue of the fact that it has been given to Him. In verse 5, the author will quote from the seventh verse of the second psalm. And if we go to verse 8 of that psalm, we find God speaking these words to His Son. Ask of me... And I will give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. So Jesus, as the Son, is heir of all things and as such is qualified to speak for his Father. Next, we are told that not only are all things his by right of inheritance, but also by the right of creation. For it was through him that God made the world. Now we can understand those us passages 
in Genesis. When God said, let us make man in our image, he was talking to his son. In fact, Jesus was the one who did the actual creating. John confirms this in his gospel when he writes of the word, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus is the creator. And as such, he certainly has the right to speak to his creation more so than anyone else. And what he says is absolutely true and complete, surpassing anything anyone else has ever said. Next, we are told he's the radiance of God's glory. Now, the word used can either mean reflection or radiance, and a case can be made for either understanding. Some maintains that as the moon reflects the sun, so Jesus reflects the glory of God. Others hold that as the rays of light are related to the sun and neither exists without the other, so Christ is actually the radiance coming from the divine glory. Now, I think I prefer the latter. But either way, when we see Jesus, we see the full glory of God. And that can be said of no one else. Moses' face shined after his encounter with God on Mount Sinai. But his was a fading glory. Before long, it was gone. With Jesus, that glory remains. Because he is the radiance of of God's glory, and as such, the one to whom we look if we would see God. That idea is then expanded in the next description given to the Son, where he's referred to as the exact representation of God's nature. The word was used of an impression made by an engraving tool. As the imprint of the die perfectly represents the original design, so in Christ do we see a perfect representation of God. Jesus himself said in John 14, 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Again, that can be said of no one other than the Son. We are all image bearers of God, but we are far from exact representations of his nature. Who among us, or even among the prophets, would ever say, he who has seen me has seen the Father? Only Jesus can legitimately make that claim. Next, we're told Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power, that he's not only the creator, but also the sustainer of the universe. In Colossians, Paul put it this way, in him all things hold together. He is the force that holds the very atoms together, but he's even more than that. The word used here for upholds also has within it the sense of movement toward a goal. Some translate the word as carries. It's Christ's job to sustain the universe in its existence and operation and to carry it forward, to reach its consummation, which God has planned. That means he has the whole picture. 
He doesn't have to wonder about the future, as did the prophets. He's directing, actually carrying everything to the fulfillment of God's ultimate will. He has everything under control. And he knows where he's going. That makes him eminently qualified to speak and means we better listen to what he has to say. And we can hear him. The lines of communication have been opened, and Jesus is the one who opened them. Our sin had cut us off from fellowship with the Father. We could not enter into a relationship with him that would enable us to really know him, even if we wanted to. Sin kept us apart. But Jesus made purification for sins possible. He made it possible for the sin that separated us from God to be washed away. He made it possible for us to enter into a relationship with himself that would enable us to hear and understand God's will for our lives. So where is Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated at God's right hand, reigning now over his kingdom. And that means he is actively involved in our lives on earth. He has spoken. And he continues to speak. He spoke by coming to earth and showing us the Father in physical form. He spoke through the teachings he shared while on earth. He spoke through the apostles as they were commissioned and inspired to speak on his behalf and as they put into written form his will for the church. And he speaks today through the Holy Spirit, who indwells believers, enabling them to understand and apply His Word to their daily life. We look nowhere else than to the Son to find God's will for us today. We're not looking for another prophet We're not waiting for latter-day revelation. We are not even listening to the mystical voices that some claim to hear, thinking them to be the voice of God. God has spoken His final word. He has spoken all we need to know. And He has done so through His Son. The one whose birth we celebrate again this time of year. Jesus came to earth to save us. He came to earth to reveal the fullness of the glory of God and the exact nature of our Heavenly Father. He came to earth to live among us physically for a time. And through his spirit until he returns.
Jesus temporarily left his throne in heaven to be able to live in our hearts on earth. That when he came to earth, there was found for him no room in the end. I pray that if you have not already done so, you will make room for the living word in your heart today.